1: humans have been concentrating sweetness for millennia we've been breeding fruit to be extra sweet extra juicy to please our senses and nowadays with industrialization we've been extracting sweetness and concentrating it even more we've extracted sugar from plants we've created table sugar we've put it into cans we've put it into so many different substances because we know that it's addictive and humans want it hello and welcome to the not perfect
2: podcast a show that explores the mind soul science and health as we speak with world leading experts each week i'm your host poppy jamie a best-selling author entrepreneur and happiness researcher life is not straightforward. So join me as we navigate being human together and become what I like to call flexible thinkers. I believe that curiosity and education is the route for more happiness, love, connectedness, and the doorway to unlocking your unlimited potential. I hope you join me on the journey. On today's podcast, I have someone that has completely changed the way I eat and understand food. Throw away your diets and conditioned beliefs because I am so excited to introduce you to Jessie, also known as the glucose goddess, who is on a mission to translate cutting-edge science into easy advice to help people improve their physical and mental health through diet, eating, and education. Jessie has changed the way millions understand their diet, it and they are feeling like new people because of it. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Mathematics from King's College London and a Master of Science degree in Biochemistry from Georgetown University. Her work at a genetic analysis startup in Silicon Valley made her realize that the key to good health is more influenced by food habits over genetics. In her first globally best-selling book, Glucose Revolution, Jessie shares her startling discovery about the essential role of blood, sugar in every aspect of our lives, from cravings to fertility to mental
1: health and lots more. What's a favorite quote you return to often and why? So it's a French quote, so I'm going to try to live translate it. So the quote goes, anytime you do something, you will have against you the people doing exactly the same thing, the people doing exactly the opposite, and, much more vicious, the large group of people doing nothing at all. <laughs> and I think, you know, in this era of the Internet um, I come back to that often because as soon as you're in the arena trying to build anything, you're going to get criticism and you're going to get attacks. And I just return to that because it reminds me that it's normal and it's just part of the world. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? So I was reminded of this yesterday. The life lesson is that it's a continuous journey to go and heal our child selves' trauma and issues and fears because they will keep coming back up and changing the way you respond to things or conditioning your emotions in particular situations and that it's really important to create this space to go and heal all that stuff from all childhood otherwise it just keeps coming back
2: I was having the same conversation with someone yesterday as well and even in working in the field I am constantly reminded of that that Mental health is such a practice and so rare, if impossible, to cure at once and then forever be healed.
1: Yeah, it's not like you go to a place and now your mental health is fine and you've healed all the parts <laughs> of you. It's like you don't go somewhere. It's it's a continuous journey. It's really work. It's like eating well, or it's like taking care of your physical body through exercise or managing stress. Of course, like I really believe that you can fundamentally heal many things and then they're gone because that part of you is healed. But it's a journey. Such a lovely kind of reminder and reassurance
2: that all of us are on similar journeys. How do you understand the soul?
1: I think to me, the soul is sort of a little piece of the universe that was put inside of a human body. And it's the piece that connects you to consciousness as a whole. It's the piece that holds your talents, your, I wouldn't say destiny, but like the things you're drawn to maybe. My little brother told me one day, he said, the purpose of life is to find what makes your soul light up and to go after that.
2: I love that. (laughs) Which brings me really nicely to clearly a subject that has lit your soul up, being blood sugar levels. Please tell us how on earth you became the glucose goddess. (laughs) (laughs)
1: This question always makes me laugh because I never decided to become the glucose goddess. I didn't wake up one day and was like, hmm, today I'm going to call myself the goddess of something and then just roll with it. So So it was actually a really long journey and it started with mental health. So when I was 19, I had a really bad accident. I broke my back jumping off a waterfall and after that... I started developing very intense, horrible, terrifying mental health problems. And they were later diagnosed as depersonalization disorder, which is kind of a cousin of dissociation. It basically makes you terrified of just being alive. And so it became super clear to me that I had to figure out how to feel good. Like if I didn't have my health, physical and mental, I had nothing. It became my number one priority to heal. And so I went on a journey. First, I studied biochemistry in grad school to sort of try to understand how the body works from within. Then I worked in the field of genetics in San Francisco. That was interesting, but it didn't help me figure out how to feel good. It didn't heal my mental health problems. And then I finally came across blood sugar, or glucose as I call it now, and I realized glucose spikes, so big rapid increases in blood sugar levels could be one of the triggers of my depersonalization episodes. And so I researched how to keep my glucose level steady to feel my best, and through my research I realized that 90% of us actually experience these glucose spikes every single day without knowing it. And depending on the person, these spikes have different effects. They lead to different symptoms. So for some people, it might mean mental health stuff, like for me. For others, it could be cravings, fatigue, polycystic ovarian syndrome, poor sleep, anxiety, nausea. And so I looked at all the research, and I extracted from it these really simple hacks that people could apply to their food habits to avoid glucose spikes, heal whatever their issues were, without going on a freaking diet, without giving up any food that they love, without going into this restrictive world. And so I started an Instagram account, When I started it, it was not called Glucose Goddess. It was my name. It was Jesse and Chauspie. And then about a year in or nine months in, I decided to change the name because my name is really hard to pronounce and write and share. So I had to find something catchy. And that's how it all happened. So I would love to start
2: with this story that you talk about the train analogy, about how to understand what happens when we have too much glucose in our body. So I'd love for you to share that.
1: So... I explain in the book the things that happen in your body when a glucose spike takes place, and the first one has to do with our mitochondria. So, and that's where the train thinks comes comes in. So, I'm going to just step back for a second. So, glucose is our body's preferred energy source. Okay, so every cell in your body burns this glucose to make energy, and then to be able to perform a function. And we get glucose through the starchy or the sweet foods that we eat. The problem is, more glucose isn't better. It's kind of the same thing as if you give a plant too much water and it drowns, or a human too much oxygen and the human passes out. Well, if you give a human too much glucose, bad stuff starts to happen. The first thing that happens when a glucose spike takes place has to do with our mitochondria so mitochondria are the little um, systems in our cells that are in charge of burning glucose for energy and essentially you can think of your mitochondria like the person in charge of putting coal onto a fire aboard a steam train and the train keeps going that's what your mitochondria do with glucose so that your body can keep moving now picture this You're the person in the train. It's your job to put the coal onto the fire. Every day, you get coal delivered to your cabin and everything runs smoothly when the amount of coal delivered equals the amount of coal that you need to burn to keep the train moving. But then one day this happens. 8 a.m., you get a knock on the door. Somebody delivers coal. You're like, great, I need the coal today. Then 8.30, another coal delivery you think to yourself, well, I don't need this coal right now, but I'm just going to set it aside for later so I have some extra. And then every 30 minutes, all day, you get more and more coal delivered to your cabin. And you cannot burn the coal faster. You can't make the train need more coal. So the coal accumulates in your cabin. It becomes stuffed, overcrowded. You can't even move around anymore in the cabin because there's so much coal everywhere. And then the train stops moving because you can't get anything onto the fire anymore. This is how your mitochondria feel when you give them too much glucose at once. They don't like it. They become stressed, overcrowded, stuffed, and they cannot perform their functions anymore. When your mitochondria get stressed out, they produce these molecules called free radicals, and free radicals damage everything they touch in your body. So, your body creates inflammation to try to manage these free radicals. The issue is, over time, you just end up in a state where your body is inflamed. Every single one of your cells is in a state called oxidative stress. And all of your mitochondria are just not working anymore. So, you keep eating all this sweet and starchy stuff, but you feel really, really tired. You can't get out of bed. You can't pick up your kids at school. Carrying your groceries is exhausting because your mitochondria have shut down?
2: I mean, we are in a chronic health crisis because... We've
1: never been taught this. Like anywhere, we've been taught to have sugary breakfasts. And as a result, you know, we don't feel well. 90% of us have glucose spikes every day. We're all sick and we don't know how to fix it and we blame ourselves. And so we medicate or we suppress or we feel ashamed about symptoms. We might feel like feeling really tired or having a lot of cravings or acne, psoriasis, rosacea, hormonal issues. And so, you know, what I'm here to say is that actually all of these symptoms that most of us experience are just your body trying to speak to you and tell you hey poppy like there are glucose spikes happening in your bloodstream please fix them and then we'll <laughs> we'll feel better. And uh, so the mitochondria analogy that's the first thing that happens in our body when we spike and I just want to mention the other main thing that happens so that people get the full picture. The other thing that happens in your body with every glucose spike is that all this glucose arriving really quickly, it's running around in your body like kids on a playground. It's just going everywhere, bumping into everything. But every time a piece of glucose bumps into another molecule in your body, it damages that molecule. And the damage is called glycation. And glycation is the same thing as what happens when you put a piece of toast in the toaster. It's literally cooking. So the more glucose you have in your body, the quicker you're cooking, And this comes as a surprise to many people, but actually, cooking is a very normal part of life. From the moment we're born, we start cooking, and then when we're fully cooked, we die. That is literally what happens in your body. And so with every glucose spike, you're accelerating this aging process, and you can see this on your face, you get more wrinkles, but also internally, all your organs are slowly getting damaged
2: and what I thought it was fascinating in that um that that when you were talking about the aging that if you look at a baby's ribs they are white and then by the end of their life our ribs turn like toast
1: dark yeah the cartilage in your bones yeah um it literally browns we're like we're like chickens in an oven this is what happens to us and we can't stop glycation, we can't stop the cooking, but we can slow it down or speed it up. And with every glucose spike, we speed it up. And actually, every time we eat something sweet, it goes even faster than when we eat something starchy. Because in things that are sweet, you don't just have glucose, you also have fructose. And fructose glycates things even faster than glucose. And that's why one of the hacks that I recommend is... If you're looking for a snack, it's always better to have a savory or a starchy snack than to have a sweet snack. It's always a better option.
2: So what spikes our glucose? What are the foods that we should be aware of that are quite common in the global diet?
1: I think the worst offenders actually are breakfast foods. But typical breakfast foods, as in like sweet breakfast foods. So, fruit juices, cereal, pastries, cookies, granola, muesli, smoothies that are just pure fruit, um, dried fruit, all of that breakfast stuff um, is really, really concentrated in sugar. And these create very big glucose spikes. And what happens is that if your breakfast creates a big glucose spike, then for the rest of the day, you're going to have more cravings, you're going to be more hungry before every other meal, and you're going to have more unsteady energy levels. So it's really important to get your breakfast right. And if you really love, let's say, I don't know, breakfast pancakes, and this is something you want to eat every single day, which is totally fine, totally get it, the best moment to eat those pancakes is not breakfast. The best moment to eat those pancakes is as dessert after your lunch or your dinner. So I recommend that people... Switch to a savory breakfast that contains nothing sweet except whole fruit for taste if you want. And then all the other sweet stuff that you love and that you need to have in your life, have those as dessert after your lunch and after your dinner. That way you can still enjoy them, but you help your body process all of this food in a much better way and not suffer the consequences of big glucose spikes.
2: So one of your hacks is to um, have a salad before you start eating. Why do you encourage, and you have this great diagram about what you should, it's all about the order in which you eat the foods. Why does the order matter? And why do you suggest people eat their vegetables before other food to be able to avoid these glucose spikes?
1: So we used to think that it didn't really matter what order you ate your foods in because everything would just get mushed in your stomach and mixed together. (laughs) It turns out that's not the case. So we now know that there's a specific order that if you eat the constituents of your meal in that order, you can reduce the glucose spike of the meal by up to 75%. And the proper order is the following. Vegetables first, proteins and fats second, and starches and sugars last. So if your meal is composed of, let's say, some fish, some avocado, some broccoli, some quinoa, and a cookie, the correct order is broccoli first, that's the veggies, then the fish and the avocado, that's the protein and the fat, then the quinoa, that's the starches, and then the cookie, because that's the sugars. And you might wonder, like, what's happening inside my body that's making this create such a smaller glucose spike? And it has to do with the fiber that's in the vegetables. So if you eat your vegetables before everything else, something magical happens. The fiber in your vegetables arrives in your stomach. Then picture this. Then it makes its way to your upper small intestine. And there it deploys itself onto the walls of your intestine, and it creates this protective mesh, this kind of gooey mesh, and it stays there for a few hours. And this mesh means that any glucose that comes through afterwards from the starchy and the sweet foods is going to be absorbed to a lesser extent into your bloodstream through the walls of your intestine. So you're still eating the starches and the sugars, but they don't make it through your bloodstream as much as before. And this is really important. It's really, really cool. And you really feel the difference. In particular, when you start doing this, you'll likely feel that you're not tired after your meals. And you'll feel that you won't be hungry again in 90 minutes. And then the second reason this order is really important and works is that the protein and the fat, if you eat them before the starches and the sugars, the protein and the fat slow down the speed at which food makes it from the stomach to the upper intestine. So it slows down digestion just a little bit.
2: It's just absolutely fascinating. And again, all of us can do this, which I absolutely love. In the book, you also talk about how flattening your glucose curves is a fantastic tool in aiding weight loss if that is something that somebody is trying to do. And this is so much more effective than counting calories. How is that the case? How can you still eat a cookie even if you're trying to lose weight if you do this?
1: So I would say, first of all, that, you know, the hacks I shared, they're not about weight loss. I mean, weight loss is often a consequence of getting your glucose level steady. But the primary objective of this is to keep your body in a healthy, balanced place and to heal yourself from the inside out. So the studies show us actually diets don't really work. The issue with proper diets is that people just gain the weight back because they go into something that's very restrictive, very hard to maintain, then inevitably they stop doing that very intense diet because, of course, it's really intense and probably awful to do. And so they go back to their regular way of eating and then all the weight comes back on. Here we're talking about fundamental principles that will follow you for life, that allow you to still eat all the food you love, and just create a sort of new lifestyle for yourself. So savory breakfast, eating your food in the right order, walking after your meals, etc. And so the reason for all this is that when you keep your glucose levels steadier, a few main things happen that help overall weight loss. One, your cravings dissipate, because we know from the scientific evidence that Cravings are a consequence.
2: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help
1: manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen. So every time that your glucose levels drop after a glucose spike, the craving center in your brain activates and tells you, alert, alert, we have to eat something sweet right now. So when you stop that glucose roller coaster, when you avoid the spikes and you flatten your glucose curve, these glucose crash-induced cravings go away. And there's a similar effect as well on hunger. So when you study your glucose levels, your hunger hormones become rebalanced, and you no longer have these really intense hunger pangs. You stay full for longer, even if you eat the same number of calories. And then finally, when your glucose levels are balanced, your insulin levels come back into balance too, and slowly come down. And we know that insulin is one of the reasons that we gain weight because insulin's role is to take excess glucose floating around into the bloodstream and store it in your muscle, in your liver, and in your fat cells to take it out of circulation so it doesn't create the mitochondrial stress and the cooking that we discussed earlier. And so in the people in my community who've been using the hacks, just even a couple of weeks, you see a huge impact, have told me that just by doing this, First of all, they feel better, they have more energy, they're happier, they sleep better, their skin has cleared, but also they lost weight without even trying. It's sort of one of those happy side effects that most people report to me.
2: It's so brilliant. And to me, it feels like a great intervention for sugar addiction, which is, you know, addiction that more people than not probably actually struggle from given the diet that is so available to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, sugar, you know, every time you eat something sweet, you get a hit of dopamine in your brain. And dopamine is the same substance that's released when you have sex, when you gamble, when you use illegal drugs. It's really, really, really highly addictive. Um, And so being able to flatten your glucose curves helps you reduce those sugar cravings. And so helps you just reduce the amount of sugar you consume so that you slowly get off the addiction bandwagon but it's very real absolutely i used to be addicted to sugar i still have phases where i'm where i'm addicted to sugar if i don't do the hacks for a while and then i do the hacks again and um i feel better and i no longer crave you know ice cream at 11 p.m or cookies in the middle of the afternoon which i used to think was totally normal you know
2: a hundred percent you know when i worked in an office you know somebody would bring out the cake and I would mm. try and literally have as many pieces as I possibly could without looking rude that I was taking most mm. of the cake. But you, um, what I really, really found fascinating was the experiment about the mice actually that really mm. looks into what happens when we are on the addiction cycle. Would you mind telling us a bit about that?
1: No, of course. So scientists wanted to understand how much we liked dopamine. Dopamine being this substance that gets released in our brain when we eat something sweet. And so they set up this experiment where mice had a way to activate their dopamine in their brains with this special lever that was connected to this like laser thing that like activated dopamine in their brain, which sounds really weird. I don't want to do that, but it was for the experiment. And so these mice had at their disposal a button that just literally made them feel pleasure, activated dopamine. And the scientists just let the mice be and just watched what happened. The mice, when they discovered this lever, they didn't stop using it. They literally spent their entire waking hours activating the sensor over and over and over and over again to get more and more and more and more dopamine because we can never get enough of this pleasure molecule. And the scientists actually had to stop the experiment because the mice had forgotten to eat, to drink, to move, to go to the bathroom and to sleep because they were completely addicted to this dopamine. So suffice to say that we really love this substance. We really crave it. And the food industry knows this humans have been concentrating sweetness for millennia we've been breeding fruit to be extra sweet extra juicy to please our senses and nowadays with industrialization we've been extracting sweetness and concentrating it even more we've extracted sugar from plants we've created table sugar we've put it into cans We've put it into so many different substances because we know that it's addictive and humans want it.
2: And all the problems that farming sugar has had socially, politically, it's just crazy almost how we've become in this
1: mess with sugar, really. It is. And so, you know, I think it's important to be realistic. And not to say just cut out sugar entirely from your life. I mean, obviously, if you're able to do that, that's great. And kudos to you because sugar has no benefit to the body. It's literally just bad for you. But I personally love sugar. Like I love cake. I want to eat ice cream. (laughs) And so I don't want to give it up. It's too hard for me to give it up. And so with the hacks, what I figured out are ways that you can still eat this sugary food with a smaller impact on your health. And also without creating the cravings roller coaster that I used to be on, which means that if I eat a cookie, then for the entire day or possibly following 48 hours, I want to eat sweet stuff every 90 minutes. I get on this glucose spike and crash roller coaster, and then I just crave even more and more and more sugar. So if you love sweet stuff, as I mentioned earlier, number one don't have sweet stuff on an empty stomach. So avoid sweet things at breakfast because that's when it is most likely to create this glucose roller coaster. Have the sweet stuff as dessert after meals when your stomach is already full of fiber, proteins, and fats. Then another tip I can give you is before you eat something sweet, have some vinegar in water. I know this may sound a little strange, but it's scientifically backed. There are clinical trials showing exactly this. And the reason you want to do this, so we're talking a tablespoon of vinegar in a really tall glass of water. Ideally, you drink it with a straw to protect your teeth's enamel. And if you do this before eating something sweet, you can cut the glucose spike of that sweet thing by up to 30%. So you're still eating the sweet thing that you like, but you're creating less of a spike, so less inflammation, less aging, less weight gain, and less of a drop, so fewer cravings. Uh, And the reason this works, Poppy, is because in vinegar, there's this molecule called acetic acid. And acetic acid goes straight to your muscles, and it tells your muscles to soak up any extra glucose coming through the bloodstream and to store it as energy for later use instead of hanging there and creating a big glucose spike. And then final tip, after you eat something sweet, use your muscles for 10 minutes. By this I mean go for a walk, dance to some songs that you like, clean your apartment, play with your kid, fold some laundry, whatever, use your muscles. Because as you're doing this, your muscles are gonna need energy. And they're going to soak up, just like the acetic acid was helping them do previously, they're going to soak up any excess glucose from your bloodstream. So with this combo, you're still eating the chocolate cake, but you're not getting a big glucose spike. So you're not creating the cravings roller coaster.
2: It's so interesting. Going back to the vinegar and water. Naturally, I do love a hot apple cider vinegar drink, but I add honey into it.
1: Mm. So do I
2: just then kind of ruin the apple cider vinegar's power if I add honey into it.
1: You do because honey contains a bunch of glucose and a bunch of fructose. So it won't, it's just going to negate the effect. However, I would say if you just love that drink and it's something that brings you pleasure, like you're totally fine to drink it. Just know that it's not going to help you reduce your glucose spikes.
2: And you also say something which I thought was hilarious, which is dress your carbs. (laughs) Don't eat naked carbs. Yes. What do you mean by that? And how can we dress our carbs and not
1: eat them naked? (laughs) So carbs are starches and sugars. So starches are anything starchy. So bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, et cetera, or anything sweet. And that includes dessert. And it also includes fruit. Fruit is also sweet. If you eat something starchy or something sweet on its own, that's what I call eating it naked. And when you eat a carb naked, it's going to create a big glucose spike in your system. Now, here's the tip. Put some clothing on your carbs to reduce their glucose spike. And the clothing can be protein, fat, or fiber. So the protein and fat, as I mentioned, they're going to slow down digestion. So they're going to help reduce the glucose spike from the carb that you just ate. Fiber, if you add it, that's probably the most effective piece of clothing because of the mesh that it creates in your upper intestine. So for example, if you're having a cookie, add some nuts to it, have it with a side of Greek yogurt. If you are eating an apple or a banana, maybe put some nut butter on there, you know, some almond butter, some unsweetened peanut butter. If you're having rice or pasta, add some veggies into the dish, You know, swirl in some spinach, add some finely chopped up broccoli, whatever floats your boat. As you do this, you're going to help your body still enjoy the carbs, but with a smaller glucose spike. So one
2: of your examples in the book was if you're going to have apple crumble, have some cream. And I called my mom to tell her about this discovery. Because it was so interesting because we love apple crumble at home. And, and my mom was like, you're telling me that I can add cream on my apple crumble and and it will flatten my glucose curve from the apple crumble. I'm like, yes,
1: this is what the book says. How does that happen? So, you know, cream contains, it's mostly fat, right? So when you add fat to carbs, you slow down the speed at which the carbs make it from your stomach to your intestines. So you slow down the glucose spike. Now it's important to keep in mind that you have to be a bit mindful. For example, uh, let's talk about bread. So, If you have a piece of bread and on top of it, you add some butter, that's good. It'll flatten the glucose curve. But then if you add like two pounds of butter onto the piece of bread, Mm. yes, it's going to flatten the curve, but it's also going to mean that you're eating, you know, 5,000 calories of butter. And so in the balance, that's probably not going to be positive. So you have to use a bit of good judgment here. Adding close to your carbs is really important and really, really powerful, but also be mindful of like how much you're eating, if it's turning into this like kind of gorging on all the cream in your fridge, Uh, because then (laughs) there might, your glucose curve might be flat, but there might be other consequences to your health. Um, And so in the beginning of the book, I explain the limitations of thinking about glucose. And that's one of the limitations I mentioned, which is glucose is not everything. For example, if you just eat five pounds of bacon a day and that's all you eat, your glucose levels will be steady because there's no glucose in bacon. However, you're probably going to create a bunch of other issues in your body, especially if you're eating, you know, poor quality, processed bacon, whatever. Alcohol is another really good example. Alcohol does not create a glucose spike in our body. And actually, if you have alcohol alongside a meal, it'll reduce the glucose spike of the meal because it overwhelms your liver, and because alcohol is a toxin, it's a poison, your liver gets really busy trying to process it, and as a result, it doesn't do its other job, which is processing glucose and letting glucose through into your bloodstream. So you might see a smaller spike if you have wine plus pasta, but actually having the pasta alone would have been better, because alcohol has other side effects that have nothing to do with glucose that are bad for your body.
2: Would you mind sharing a bit about how glucose and hormones are related? Because, again, I know a lot of friends that suffer from polycystic ovaries. And actually, to be honest, I didn't understand it as well as I now understand it from reading your book. So if you could share some of the basics around that, that would be really interesting.
1: Absolutely. So we're discovering a link between glucose levels, insulin levels, and female hormones. So. When there's a lot of glucose in your body because you're having a lot of glucose spikes, there's going to be a lot of insulin in your body as well because we produce insulin in response to glucose to help us manage it. The issue is insulin, when there's a lot in your system, it goes to your ovaries and it tells your ovaries to produce more testosterone, testosterone being the male sex hormone. And on top of that, when there's a lot of insulin present in your body, you can no longer convert testosterone into female hormones, which is a process that usually takes place. So what you end up with is this overflow of testosterone in a female body. And this is one of the main reasons that you develop polycystic ovarian syndrome. This excess of male hormones leads to balding. It leads to having hair on your chin. It leads to acne. It leads to no longer being able to ovulate. It leads to all sorts of issues. And, you know, most women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome have this cause, this high insulin cause uh, to blame for it. There are some cases of polycystic ovarian syndrome that have other causes like adrenal issues. But in the vast majority of cases, you can look for the cause of polycystic ovarian syndrome in too much insulin and too many glucose spikes. And that's why we see in the studies that when women flatten their glucose curves, their testosterone comes down and they're able to reduce their symptoms, they're able to ovulate again, to become pregnant again. And it's a really young field of study, but we see polycystic ovarian syndrome really rise. I mean, it's very, 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 very common. Um, And in the community, thankfully, I hear a lot of wonderful success stories of women using the hacks and being able to rid themselves of the symptoms. So it's quite encouraging. We have more power than we think.
2: And actually, this brings me on to the subject of glucose regulating supplements. What are your thoughts on chromium or charcoal? Berberine,
1: stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, listen, I mean, they work. You know, the studies show us that they have an effect, but you will see the biggest impact by using the hacks and, you know, eating your food in the right order, using vinegar, moving after your meals, adding a veggie starter, having a savory breakfast. The supplements are. You know, they they can be helpful for sure, but they're not nearly as powerful as using what's in front of you in your plate three times a day to affect your glucose levels. But the science does show that they're helpful. So if it floats your boat, by all means, go for it. And I'd love to quickly
2: talk about glucose leveling and sleep, because obviously, I mean, I am so deeply passionate about sleep. And you have a section in the book that addresses this. Uh, What is the impact of glucose on sleep? And how can we flatten
1: glucose levels in order to get better night sleep? So we know a few things. We know that the relationship between glucose and sleep kind of goes both directions. So first of all, if you go to sleep... As you're experiencing a big glucose spike from your dinner, let's say, you will not sleep as well. And this is something that I've experienced hundreds of times. If I have a big dinner and I didn't eat my food in the right order, I just had naked carbs, I wake up and I'm not rested. It really impacts your body's ability to go into this deep, restful state. It impacts your heart rate variability. So that's a big one. If you have sleep issues, definitely look at your glucose levels. Second... When we are sleep deprived, our body cannot process glucose as well as before. So for the same food that you eat, you will see a bigger glucose spike in your body if you're tired. So here's what to do if you're somebody who doesn't get a lot of sleep and you're not very well rested. First of all, make sure that your breakfast is a savory breakfast, because if you eat sweet stuff for breakfast, you're just going to create an even bigger roller coaster. And then it's this vicious cycle because you're on the roller coaster. You go to bed. There's a roller coaster happening inside of your body. You don't sleep well. You wake up. Your body is going to create bigger glucose spikes because it's tired and it just goes on and on and on. Then you can use your muscles in the morning. So have a short like five minute little workout. Dance to a song you like, look for a five minute workout video on YouTube, whatever. Get your body moving and get your muscles to wake up because they will help you. They will be your best allies in keeping your glucose levels steady throughout the day. And then as you start applying all the other hacks um, that I share, you'll notice that your sleep will get better because your body is going to come back into balance and you will be less tired during the day and more tired just before you go to bed. So you'll have more restful sleep. So it all, it all works out in the end. And what do you recommend to eat before bed or not eat? So if you can avoid to have sweet stuff before bed, that's obviously better because the more sweet things you eat during dinner, the bigger spike you might get. And that's going to create more and more issues. I also recently learned that it's best to not have too much protein before you go to bed because protein promotes wakefulness. So it's quite important to have a dinner that is a little bit lower in protein than usual. But the rest of your meals, breakfast, have a lot of protein, lunch as well. We don't eat nearly as much protein as we should
2: honestly you are absolutely fantastic and this book is pretty life-changing in all honesty so much information in there to live happier and healthier so
1: thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you so much probably for having me really it means a lot um your words i will keep them close to my heart thank you
2: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review, and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific Guest coming up in future episodes, just let me know. Shoot me a message on Instagram or Twitter, it's just at Poppy Jamie. And so until next time, stay flexible, stay true to you, and stay leaning into love.
0: Hold up.